Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Um, we're glad that you're able to join us today. And as always, if you have any comments or questions or thoughts that, on our discussion today, um, you can put that into our chat windows. If you're on the Zoom app, uh, you can use the Q&A box or just the chat window to put those in or, or coming in on Facebook. Um, you can put that in the comment section. We'll be monitoring those throughout the show. Um, so today we are down one person. Um, and from what I understand, down uh, at least uh, for the time being, permanently down one person. Uh, today it's just me, Jonathan Sadler, and then we've got um, Scott Smelser with us. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing well, and there's a good reason, because we would enjoy having Drew here, but he has a good opportunity to be teaching in uh, the prison system up in the part of his state, and that is just reopened, and so he's uh, taking advantage of that good opportunity. Right. And on the road, maybe things work out where he can be back with us here. But in the meantime, we're glad for the good work he's doing there. Yep, yep. yep. So we're thankful for that opportunity that he has and uh, hoping that that goes well. Uh, but we're still here and uh, still going to be coming on every Tuesday, uh, Lord willing, at 2 p.m. And today um, we're going to be discussing um, just a Bible character, uh, the life of Joseph. Um, so he appears in the book of Genesis in chapter 38 or in chapter 37 is the first time that we're introduced to him. Um, and there are just a lot of things that we can learn from Joseph, um, both positive and negative and how to respond to different situations. And it, it, he's a very intriguing Bible character. When we're introduced to him, he's a very young man um, and life really hits him pretty hard uh, at the beginning of his life. So um, I, I don't know, I guess. We don't really have time to read the whole chapter in chapter 37. Uh, so, Scott, do you just want to kind of uh, give just kind of a brief introduction to how we meet Joseph and and the first kind of big major event that happens to him in his life? Yeah, I'll read maybe the first half of the chapter, and then we'll just remind people. And then, all right, so uh, Genesis chapter 37, Jacob is dwelling in the land where his father was a stranger, land of Canaan. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. Uh, verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, made him a tunic of many, tunic of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, that went really well. No, I misread. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph has a dream. Let's see what, and he tells his brother what the dream is. And, um, uh, or that he tells him he had the, the dream. They hated even more. Uh, he said, please hear this dream, which I dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. Your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers, look, I've dreamed another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Keep in mind, there's 12 brothers and the moon and the stars now. He told it to his father and mother, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? His brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And then maybe, Jonathan, you can just kind of sum up for us what happens in the next part of the chapter. 
Yeah. So, so just to kind of realize, and, and you see, and you see this show up in the last part of the chapter, there's a whole lot of tension in this family. Um, there's a lot of favorites that are going on. The brothers don't really like each other. In fact, they grow in their hatred uh, for Joseph. And along the way, Joseph is sent, his brothers are shepherds, and he's sent by his father to go and kind of check on them while they're shepherding. And here's the response that he gets from his brothers in verse 18 of Genesis 37. Then they saw him from afar off. And before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Um, I don't know. Like I, I have one brother. Um, so we don't have a particularly big family. There were times that my brother was annoying to me. And there were times that I was annoying to my brother. And there were times maybe like jokingly that like, we said that we were going to kill each other or like fight with each other or whatever, but we never like planned an actual like time and like premeditated an actual murder of each other. It never oh, escalated to that point. Murder, but it never reached first. Degree. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so it, it's pretty bad between the brothers here and their situation and they decide they, they're going to kill him. So, uh, and you see why in verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Um, they're going back to his different visions and dreams and the interpretations of those uh, that he had earlier in the chapter, and they were all ready to kill him. However, one of the brothers, the oldest brother, kind of steps in, Reuben steps in, and he says, no, let's not kill him. Uh, that, that wouldn't be any good. Um, let's, let's just, you know, teach him a lesson or something like that, but kind of protect his life. Uh, and so they throw him into this pit. And he's uh, there in the pit. And while Reuben is gone, the brothers decide that their best course of action is not to kill him, but instead to sell him. Uh, so in verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to them. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Um, and so early on, 17 years old, Joseph is hated by his brothers. They want to kill him, but they decide, you know, there's a, there's an opportunity here for, you know, some money. We could, instead of killing him, make a profit off of him and sell him into slavery, into Egypt. And he's gone and they feign his death to his father. Uh, Jacob, who uh, they get his coat of many colors that Jacob gifts to him, and they dip it in some uh, ram's blood and take it back to him, and Jacob is distraught that his favorite uh, uh, son has apparently died, yet he's still alive down in Egypt, and he spends the rest of his life down in Egypt, Joseph does, and kind of goes through this roller coaster that will start breaking down uh, here. Go ahead, Scott. I'm just going to read the verses of that last section there. Yeah. They've taken the coat and they put it in the, the goat blood. And they said, we have found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? Mm -hmm. That's a really cruel thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but they, you know, it's like, we have found this. You know, do you know if it, he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, mourned his son many days. All his sons and daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so uh, Jacob is distraught at this. But what I think is really interesting, maybe this is just a side point to Joseph's life, is what happens in Jacob's mind here. 
you look at like the wording because like we know the whole story we know that jo- jo- or joseph had not been attacked by a wild animal he's not dead he's actually been sold he's on his way down to egypt and all that but look how jacob whenever he's presented with this so-called evidence of uh of joseph's death look how he responds uh again in his words in verse 30 uh 33 uh it is my son's robe a fierce animal has devoured him joseph is without doubt torn to pieces and you compare that to the very last verse in the chapter, in chapter 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt, to Potiphar, uh, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So Jacob, uh, this is uh, an important lesson for us to learn. Jacob feels some pretty intense emotions and thinks that he has, you know, some pretty strong evidence to convince him that those emotions are true and right. And he's distraught and he's not going to be comforted at all. But no matter how strongly he feels about the situation, Joseph is still not dead. <laughs> He's right. alive. And that's an important thing for us to realize. We can have some pretty strong emotions when certain things happen in our lives, but it doesn't necessarily make those things true. Um, and so that's just something to, to consider and think about here. Um, and later on, Jacob will be extremely comforted whenever he finds out that his son is still alive, whenever he finally finds that uh, years later in the future. Go ahead, Scott. Lately, too, I've been noticing people will argue a point, and they may feign a logical argument. If somebody points out the problem in the logic, sometimes they're offended because it's really about their feelings in the first place. This is what I want to believe, and here's something that I might argue for it, but if you show that that's not logical, I still, this is what I want to believe. In fact, if you think about what's going on in the whole transgender movement, uh, it's, I feel you know, I feel like I'm a woman instead of a man, or a woman says, I feel I'm a man instead of a woman. The fact hasn't changed, and your feelings don't change the fact. Uh, we can feel things uh, like Joseph here, who feels, one way to put it is this, if Joseph was really dead, would Jacob have felt any worse? No. Yeah, he felt just as bad as if he was dead because he thought he was dead. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a fact. Go ahead, Joseph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What so, so Joseph, he really suffers a whole lot of injustice here, but actually his life isn't really all that bad at first. Um, you would think, you know, he's just been sold into slavery, mistreated by his brothers. His brother wanted to kill him, but instead to get some profit, they actually sold him. And now his father knows he, or thinks he's dead. I don't know if Joseph knows that or not, but he's at least in a foreign land and has no communication with his family anymore. And you would think that it would just get worse and worse and worse. But Joseph's attitude throughout the whole situation and his work ethic and his integrity really start shining through. Um, and he has some blessings that come from that, but also even more persecutions kind of come against him. And noticing his attitude through all of that, I think, is really helpful. So there's a, a chapter break where it kind of goes in chapter 38 in Genesis to talk about one of Joseph's brothers. And we get back to Joseph in chapter 39. Were you going to say something before we go there, Scott? Before we get into 39, uh, what about just the family pattern and what, what Tommy Peeler calls, what is it, Lex Talionis? Mm-hmm. Uh, the that with with Jacob, some things are, it's kind of like, as you sow, so shall you reap. What are some re- repetition family dynamics here uh, and injustices that we've seen from the past and continued now reaping? 
Yeah, so uh, Jacob's father, Isaac, um, was a father of favorites. And it seems that Jacob inherited that or at least followed the pattern there. Uh, although Isaac's favorite son was Esau, the oldest, and uh, his wife, Rebecca, her favorite son was Jacob, who was the youngest. Um, but then Jacob apparently favors Joseph. He's his favorite son. And that seems to cause a whole lot of problems, uh, particularly at the beginning and kind of singling him out uh, and giving him extra benefits or, or, or presents or whatever. But really what kind of sparked it um, and the, the, I guess, distaste between the brothers was the fact that Joseph was this dreamer um, that kind of put on that he was going to be ruling over them, which actually comes true. Um, but there's a lot of bitterness and resentment that's harbored between the brothers. And that's another thing that happened with Jacob and his brother Esau in the generation prior. There was some mistreatment and things that went on, but there was a whole lot of bitterness that was harbored between the two. And finally, when it's unleashed, destruction. Yeah. And what about deceit? Is this yeah. the first time here where the sons have fooled their father mm -mm. into thinking something? Is, is that something we've seen before? No, yeah, yeah. Jacob deceiving his father and making him think that he was Esau and stealing the blessing and all that. So, yeah, a whole lot of patterns that are continued uh, from generation to generation. Not the patterns that you would want continued <laughs> in your family. Um, but yeah, good point. So Joseph is, yeah, Joseph is brought down to Egypt. He's brought down as a slave. And the last verse in chapter 39 or 37 says he sold to Potiphar. So in chapter 39, verse 1, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and, because, and uh, he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight of his attendant, and in his sight, and attended him. And he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he had made him overseer of the house over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, they had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So things go really, really well for Joseph. He gets down to Egypt and he starts off as a slave and then becomes second in command of an Egyptian official's house. Um, and the Lord is with him and helping him and blessing him and all these different things that, uh, that are you know, happening in his life. And I wonder, the, the text says, and my own personal, um, I have my own personal thoughts about maybe how practically this happened, but the text says in verse two that the Lord was with Joseph. And in verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. How, how do you think, and maybe this is just um, my own opinion, but Scott, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about how do you think Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph? I don't know. Um, the, he, he, it says, and that the Lord made all he did to mm -hmm. prosper in his hand. Mm -hmm. um, one thing, he saw the character of Joseph, right. and he saw that what Joseph did prospered. Yeah. Which there, there's some legitimacy to that. And you can also take it too far, mm -hmm. like Joseph's friends, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and we're, we're not talking about Israelites there, but their perception, uh, and indeed Satan's perception seemed to be a little bit, uh, maybe thinking some ways as well, but 
their idea was you're doing well, okay. You're not doing well, God's not pleased with you. Right. It's working, it's working. And so Potiphar sees the Lord's the Lord's with him. Yeah, and, and I think you can see how Joseph's like attitude probably shines through here. Up to this point, he's a very young man that had been treated very negatively and very poorly in his life so far. He was sold, mistreated, abandoned, and hated. And he could have thrown a pity party or or not been a man of character or integrity. But it seems to me that even in this circumstance, this really hard circumstance that he finds himself in, he uses it as an opportunity to glorify God. So much so that at least Potiphar realizes um, that the Lord is with him uh, in some way. And so he's blessed in that. And, and good comments about, you know, that's not necessarily a tell on what circumstances you're in on if the Lord is, is causing that to happen or not. Um, but his attitude, I think, certainly played a role in that. So even though he's been sold by his family, he's able to glorify God and, and God is blessing him and staying with him because Joseph is a man of integrity and still working. Uh, hard. You're introduced to him at age 17. Right. Uh, and then uh, he ends up here, still this young man. Um, there's a lot of older teenagers that make a lot of bad decisions sitting in a really good situation. Yeah. Grandparents that have taught lessons and set good examples, parents that have taught lessons and set good examples where there hasn't been favoritism, where there hasn't been the dysfunction and stuff. And yet sometimes teenagers can make really horrible and selfish de decisions. And sometimes our bad decisions come from when we're feeling sorry for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I said he didn't do that. He is also now away from his family, away from the people that know him. He's away from the, the, the covenant people. He... It would have been so easy just to, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Mm -hmm. uh, and over and over, that's not what we see. Yeah, and we see that. Audience here, uh, we'd love to hear from y'all. Uh, as we go through here, whether jumping ahead or talking about things we've already seen, what are some lessons that stand out to you from Joseph uh, that we can use to, to strengthen ourselves today? Go ahead, Zara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so going off of what you said also, um, you know, went away from his family and in this foreign land, it could have been easy to just, you know, do whatever he wanted, follow the crowd, you know, live his life to the fullest or, or whatever. But we see, like you said, over and over, his integrity and his character keep shining through. And especially, and maybe one of the most famous stories about Joseph in this next section here in chapter 39. So do you want to start reading in uh, verse 6? Um, Scott, and then just read through uh, that story um, until you think it's a good spot to stop and talk about it. All right. So we're in verse 6 of 39. Yep. Mm -hmm. I've got a page split there. Sorry. Oh. oh, there it is. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he didn't know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Came fast after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He's commanded all that he has in my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Let's pause anything to learn from this before we continue with the text. 
Yeah, so definitely you see his integrity show up here. Now it's interesting. So you've got Potiphar's wife who who wants to commit the sexual immorality with Joseph. Um, and it looks like there would be no witnesses. Um, they're in the house alone, uh, it seems to be. Joseph could do this and nobody would know. And if you just read the first part of verse eight, it, you almost kind of get that idea. Whenever Joseph responds in verse eight, he says, behold, because my master has no concern about anything in his house, he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house. There is none greater in this house than him uh, uh, or than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me. If you just stop right there, Joseph could say, you, you might think that Joseph might be able to say, so yeah, like I'm so great. There's nobody except for him that's above me. Let's go ahead. Let, let's do it. But instead you see his integrity come out and he uses the, uh, this reasoning. He's kept back nothing for me except for you because you are his wife. But yep. it's beyond just that fact that like I respect Potiphar and I respect your, his relationship with you. It goes deeper than that with Joseph. And he says, you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, that's an interesting perspective that Joseph has, because he would be sinning against Potiphar, he would be sinning against Potiphar's wife, but he also had in his mind that committing that sin would be against God. And that was, that was like, Joseph did not want to do that. How could I sin against God? There are a lot of other people that would be hurt in the moment, but God would also be hurt if Joseph chose to fall to that temptation and, and commit that sin. And that's something that's really important for us, I think, to remember in our lives, constantly remember how God feels about things whenever we do them. Uh, and, and go ahead. And to respect marriage. Yeah. 13.4, let marriage be had in honor among all. Honor your own marriage, but also respect other people's marriages, which is exactly what Joseph does here. Yeah. And then for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Yeah. You're his wife. Mm -hmm. How can I do this against God? Yeah. And so it's really impressive what Joseph does here in, in standing up. Again, remembering he's a young man. Uh, now, I don't know how long he had been in Egypt, but I assume not much older than his mid-20s at the very oldest. Um, so still a young man uh, in this situation, but stands up to this temptation that could have been really easy to fall to. But it's not just one time that he stands up to the temptation you really see the endurance of Joseph come through. In verse 10, that verse that you didn't read, Scott, it says, and, she, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So yeah. day after day, I don't know how long this went on, but day after day, he says no, he says no, he says no. And unless I'm missing something, I'm assuming he's still here a late teenager mm -hmm. uh, because uh, the time is going to go by later. But uh, we're introduced to him. It mentions his age 17. So I think that's the age as these things begin to happen. Mm -hmm. so, so continuing with the text, um, day by day, he did not heed to lie or be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. None of the men of the house was inside. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, fled and ran outside which is a great illustration of what New Testament verse? First Corinthians six. Um, the fornication. Yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go, yeah. It doesn't always involve moving your feet really quickly <laughs> in an outward direction. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's, it's, you know, 
walking away from a neighbor's fence. Sometimes it's switching jobs. Sometimes it's, you know, just showing somebody the ring on your finger or something yeah. saying no. Sometimes <laughs> it, it really Yeah, run, flee. And then what happens? What does she do? Uh, so she's been after him. She's been after him. Now she gets really aggressive. He flees. So what does she do, John? Uh, so she, in verse 12, caught him by his garment. Uh, and he, he left. And as soon as she saw in verse 13 uh, that he had left his garment in the hand and that he had fled the house, she called to the men of the house and she said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she, uh, she laid up his garment by her until his master or her master came home. And she told him the story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and he fled the house. And then his master hears that and he's angry and throws him in prison. So she lies. She just outright lies about what happened. Him of basically what she was doing. Right. And that still happens today. You'll see it happen in all sorts of ways maybe on the job, in politics, you'll see this. Sometimes the person making the complaint and accusing somebody else of something is actually the one doing the thing that they're accusing somebody else of. People do it in, in all sorts of relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and go ahead. What happens next? Yeah, so he's thrown in prison in verse 19. His master hears about that. He's very angry with him, throws him in prison. Um, but in verse 21, the Lord was still with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So again, you see, like Joseph is, is, he's kind of at the top and he's his father's favorite and everything's going really well. And then his brothers hate him and mistreat him. And he gets put all the way back down to the bottom. Now he's a slave in Egypt, but he continues to be a man of integrity and the Lord is with him and he gets back up to the top. And now he's second in command in Pharaoh's house and everything's going really, really well. And then he's accused of something that he didn't do. And his master's angry with him and throws him in prison. And now he's stripped of all of his rights and his prestige again. And he's back down at the bottom. And I just have to assume that would be pretty emotionally taxing on Joseph, but it seems to me like he remains a man of integrity and a man that's, that's trustworthy and righteous. And so he gets favor in the sight of even the prison uh, keeper. Again, he's just such a good example of no matter what circumstance and situation you find yourself in, even if you're in that situation because of injustice, which Joseph is, he's, he's wrongfully thrown in prison, but He's still honoring God in whatever situation and circumstance he's in. Um, and that shines through even more in chapter 40, whenever you see one of the uh, things that happens to Joseph while he's in prison. Um, he meets two people that, uh, that end up uh, sharing the prison with him whenever he's there. In chapter 40, uh, sometime after this, in verse 1, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord of the king of Egypt. And the Pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. And he attended them and they continued for some time in his custody. 
And one night they both dreamed, and the cupbearer and the baker of the king, each one who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were uh, with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Now, maybe I'm just reading too much into that, but you think about Joseph's life so far. He's gone on this roller coaster of emotions and events. And he's gone all the way from top to bottom, top to bottom, uh, a few different times and suffered this injustice. The attitude that he could be having is a pity party and woe is me. And, and, you know, I deserve better than this. And I can't believe that all this injustice is happening to me. But instead, in this story that we have about him, he's looking at other prisoners and wanting to comfort them. That's really incredible. That, that mindset that he has, that like other focused kind of mindset where he could be like, oh, it looks like they're having a bad day. Who cares? I'm having a worse day. <laughs> but the, in the consistency of Joseph's character, yeah, over and over and over. Um, I remember one thing my mom told me when she was coming toward the end of her life and, you know, looking to the afterlife. One thing she said that um, she was kind of apprehensive about, she felt was meeting Joseph. Because to see the Lord, she knows the Lord is the Lord. You know, he, he's the Lord. We're, we're down here. But your other Bible heroes, often, you know, you just have a number of flaws, too. And she just couldn't see any in Joseph. Not me. She wasn't meaning he hadn't sinned. But in the biblical record, he's just, and, and she just, it, it's one thing, you know, the Lord is the Lord. But to meet a fellow human being that was ex as exceptional as, as Joseph. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I might've thrown him under the bus a little bit in the opening reading where I said, and he told his brothers, um, you know, if I dreamed that I probably wouldn't have told my brothers, <laughs> but I think that was the point. It, it, there was prophecy in that and it was meant to be shared. Mm -hmm. And so in fact, Jacob puts it up in his heart, remembers it. And then of course, that will become significant later but go ahead yeah and so you see his character show up again and you have these two guys that come in that are the officials of pharaoh and they have their own separate dreams and they're troubling them they're trying to figure out what they mean um and they end up sharing them with joseph um and it's because joseph said uh in verse eight well in verse eight they said we have these dreams and there's no one to interpret them and joseph again says to them do not interpretations belong to god please tell them to me so again he has the Lord on his mind and all these things that he's doing and trying to honor him. And so the cupbearer and the baker each share their dreams. They're similar in what happens in them, but slightly different. And there's some similar symbolism. And as Joseph interprets them, the interpretation of each of the dreams is that the cupbearer in a few days is going to be restored to his original position. Pharaoh is going to forgive him and everything's going to be fine. And unfortunately for the baker in the same amount of time, he's going to be killed by the by the pharaoh and he's not going to be restored to his original position and joseph asks after he interprets that in verse 15 or in verse 18 excuse me verse 14 after he interprets the uh, cupbearer's dream he asks him to remember me when it is well with you and please do me this kindness and mention me to pharaoh and get me out of this house for i was indeed stolen out of the land of the hebrews and here i have done nothing that they should put me into this pit 
So he asked for a kind of a favor, you know, I interpreted this for you, this is going to happen for you. So please remember me uh, whenever what I say happens um, and you're finally restored. So some time passes. Go ahead. And the fellow that is restored uh, could have remembered him and told Pharaoh, but he doesn't. And it uh, gets put on the back burn. It doesn't happen. Then later, Pharaoh has a dream mm-hmm. and he wants somebody to interpret it. Oh, oh, there, there's a guy. Yeah. Uh, and so, and what was Pharaoh's dream? Briefly, what was Pharaoh's dream? Yeah. So I just want to point out one thing too. This is starting in chapter 41. It was after two whole years that Pharaoh dreamed the dream. Um, so the cupbearer forgot about Joseph for two whole years before he finally brought him up and, and returned the favor there. Um, and that's something that's maybe a side point to think about and make from the cupbearer. It's easy to, um, you know, promise that we're going to do things for people or to think about people. But whenever things start going really well for us to kind of other people go to like the, the back burner and we forget about serving other people and helping other people and instead glorying in the good things that are happening for us. Um, and that can be frustrating for people that have helped us in the past, whenever we just kind of forget about them. So don't be like the cupbearer. <laughs> Remember things that you promise people. I'll give you an example of that. Mm-hmm. How does somebody uh, speak when they need you to give them or loan them money? Th- their language and th- they, they realize you're doing me a big favor. I really need this. They're, they, they recognize and verbally they're like, and, and, and if they're, it's a loan and I'm going to pay you back, I'm going to pay you back. Once they got the money and their problem's over, sometimes, you know, that, that urgency and that humility and that dependency is all gone. <laughs> and it's, yeah. and it's, uh, what, what? And, and, and we need to, yeah, there's a lot of problems in that. Yeah. I want to throw this out to the audience. Uh, if we have time, uh, Jonathan's going to be mentioning more lessons for us to learn. If you have any, put them in. But also, if we have time, if somebody can sum up some of the parallels between Joseph and Jesus, because there's a lot of sh- foreshadowing and repeated types in the Bible. If somebody in the audience, what are some repeated patterns between the life of Joseph and Jesus? Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, and just before we, we get on to that next section with Pharaoh's dream and what happens with Joseph there, um, there was a question from the audience. Uh, Peterson asked, back relating to whenever um, Joseph was being tempted uh, and Potiphar's wife was trying to make uh, the advances on him, whenever it said that he didn't want to sin against God, the question is, how was Joseph able to make the response about sinning against God when he didn't possibly understand God at the time like how we know God through Christ? Um, and I, I think that uh, that's really kind of, uh, in my understanding, uh, an assumption on how much Joseph knew God, but he at least had an understanding that God was holy and required holiness for him as well. Um, and and should be respected. Yeah, yeah. And that marriage should be respected. Now, what are all the ins and outs of that? And how much did God communicate with Joseph and people back in those time periods? We don't have all of the answers to that, but there is at least some level of communication that God has of communicating his expectations and his laws and rules to people there. And so Joseph at least understands that. Hebrews chapter one says, God in times past spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many manners, in many ways. Mm -hmm. At the end of these days, he's spoken to us in his son. So Joseph couldn't sit down and read the New Testament, mm-hmm. but it didn't mean that he didn't have an understanding of what God wanted. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So um, moving on in chapter 41, Pharaoh has his dream. Um, and his dream consists of two different images that are, that are basically telling the same thing. He ha- sees seven ears of grain that are eaten by seven ears of, of less appeasing or less appealing grain, and also seven healthy cows that are eaten by seven sickly cows. Um, and he wakes up startled by that and doesn't know what any of that means. And like what we've been alluding to, the cupbearer finally remembers what Joseph had done for him and how he had interpreted his dream and it was true, uh, true interpretation. And so Pharaoh comes and he interpret, uh, Pharaoh comes and gets Joseph and Joseph interprets the dreams for him. And the interpretation of the dreams in chapter 41, in verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. It is told, uh, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. So, um, pretty intense situation that's going to happen here. You're going to have seven years of just great produce and plenty and everything is going to be wonderful but immediately after that god is going to have this seven-year famine over all of the world and you you look at the response that uh pharaoh has um because he asks some advice from uh from joseph and joseph ends up telling him that he should use the time of plenty to store up and prepare for the seven years of famine um and he's kind of the only one in the world that is able to do that after the famine finally hits And seeing Joseph's wisdom in that, in verse 37, uh, Pharaoh, it pleased Pharaoh, the proposal, and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom the spirit is in the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, and there is none so discerning and wise as you are, you shall be over my house, and all of my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So here again, Joseph goes from prisoner to second in command of Egypt and really second most powerful man in the world um, at, at this point. And he's at the ruler's right hand. Yeah, yeah, um, which is maybe a, a shadow of Jesus um, there again. Um, yeah. And so uh, a lot of time has passed in Joseph's, in Joseph's life. In verse 46, we see that Joseph is 30 years old whenever he enters into the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he goes out and he does all that he had planned to do. Um, He goes out and prepares for the seven years and builds storehouses in Egypt. And they're able to store up all of this food uh, and be prepared for this great famine that's going to come. And uh, in verse 53 of chapter 41, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come. And as Joseph has said, there was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt, there was bread. And when all of the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says you to you do. And so when the famine spread over all of the land, Joseph opened up all of the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all of the earth came to Egypt by to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So again, you see his consistency and his caring and preparing and sharing and helping all people that would come to him 
um, and, and blessing people that, that came to him uh, in this difficult situation and hard thing um, that was going on in the world throughout the famine. But his wisdom and his commitment to God and throughout all of the different circumstances that he's in, his consistency in standing up to all of the trials and persecutions and difficulties that he has is just the common theme throughout all of Joseph's life um, uh, in all of these different situations. There are a couple of comments that came in from Sandra. Um, she said, uh, both special son of the father. Uh, I assume that that's uh, looking at some of the uh, comparisons between Joseph and Jesus. And yeah, they were both the favored children. Um, God's only son being Jesus and Joseph's special, uh, the special son of Jacob. And then they both came up out of Egypt, both sold for silver and both suffered and yet were exalted by God. Right. Very good. Yeah. And both at their death, there's a specially colored coat involved. Uh, and then Jesus, uh, at, after having false witnesses brought against him, is there between two other prisoners, one whom has something good coming and one who has something bad coming. Joseph, after having false witness born against him, is going to be with two prisoners, one having something good coming, one's having something bad coming both in the right hand of power. Yeah, yeah. And so we just have a few minutes left. So while the audience may be thinking of some more of those comparisons between Joseph and Jesus, I wanna just point out one more thing from Joseph's life. Um, and that's at the very end. So like Joseph's story really spans a, a big section of Genesis, but it ends at the very end of Genesis in chapter 50. And so in chapter 50, Joseph has been reunited with his family. Uh, they've all moved down to Egypt. He's, he's looking out for them and they get their own special land and they're blessed and honored by Pharaoh. And he's reunited with Jacob, his father. And uh, then Jacob dies. And the brothers are a little bit kind of leery and scared of Joseph because they get kind of the idea, you know, we mistreated Joseph so much in the first part of his life. Now that Jacob is dead, Joseph might unleash his vengeance on us. So we need to make sure that everything's cool between us and Joseph. And they go to him. And so in Genesis 50 and verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when, he, when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. And then this is Joseph's attitude and his response. And you see this play out throughout all the stories that we've read so far in Joseph's life. But this was the overarching thing that I'm convinced was in Joseph's mind the whole time. In verse 19, Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am I am in, in the place of God. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little one. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That phrase that he has, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. One thing that I've noticed really recently in a lot of different stories and situations in the Bible and also still today is that there in every situation, there's the potential for evil and the potential for good. And really which one happens is dependent on how we respond to yeah. the situations there. And you see that in Joseph's life. There's plenty of potential for evil and anger and frustration and bitterness, but Joseph yeah. chooses to look beyond those things and at the good that can be accomplished for God and by God. And it's Amen. the same thing, same thing for us. 
there's all kinds of potential for bitterness and evil and wickedness and wasting our time, but there's in every situation a potential for good, even hard situations. Like you think about Paul and Silas. When Paul and Silas are beaten wrongfully and thrown in prison, that's a, in Acts 16, that's a good time for them to be bitter and resentful, but instead they use that chance for something good and sing and praise and honor and glorify God, and it leads to at least one person that we know of and his family being converted, the Philippian jailer. Um, so in every situation that we are, let's be more like Joseph, who, even though he has a roller coaster of a life, whatever position he finds himself in, that's a great place for him to glorify God. And same thing for us, whatever place we find ourselves in, that's a great, great place for us to glorify God as well. It reminds me also of the proverb, he who faints in, in the day of adversity, mm-hmm. uh, what, what is it? His strength indeed is small. Yeah, yeah, his strength indeed is small. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we faint in the day of prosperity. Mm-hmm. But us doing well on a day when everything is going our way is not the mark of maturity. Mm-hmm. Joseph's life is so many good examples from it. I really like the way you summed it up there, John. Excellent. Amen. Um, got one more uh, from, from Sandra. Um, that said, God, you can use us wherever we are in life. And yeah, amen. Absolutely. Um, and, and we need to be open to that and ready to be used by God for whatever his purpose is for us. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time that we have for this week. Thank you, Scott, for uh, joining me in that discussion and for our audience, your questions and comments throughout that. Uh, if you have any other comments or questions uh, about the life of Joseph or any other Bible topic that you want us to discuss here on Bible Quest, you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.tv. And we'll be happy to get to those in our future shows. But that's all we have for this week. So we'll see you all next Tuesday, Lord willing.